Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we have an incredible show for you today. We have Fred Matt with welcome um, from Saranac Brewing, FX Matt Company, Hudic Club Beer, all of the wonderful things above. We're really excited to have you with us. Welcome. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So, you know, when we talk about iconic brands in upstate New York, I have to say, you know, you're definitely, you know, in the, in the top five of the iconic brands in upstate New York. And um, through the years, I might have to tell you, I, I know what a beer ball is. Um, <laughs> and uh, that would have been uh, high school, college days. And um and we have definitely uh, shared some Saranacs through the years. So thank you for all of that. Well, we love being part of that. And I, I would say that I have to be at least in the top two iconic brands. And I'll say two because of our friends at Genesee. There you, there you go. So um, what we typically do, we have a you know uh, habit that we do on the show. That's not the word that I wanted. But you know we have a, a tradition of allowing you to kind of give us the lay of the land in Fred, Fred Matt's story. You know, what was your background? How did you get involved in the family business? What are you doing today? You know, those kinds of things. So yep. introduce yourself to us if you would. Yeah, so I'm Fred Matt. I'm fourth generation of the Matt family to run the company. Um, I'm uh, a, uh, I, so I grew up in the, in the family business. I am fourth generation to run the company. And what I think is really cool about that is that you take one companies that have been around for 134 years and family, uh, your success rate's about one to 3%. And the fact that we have survived for four generations and I would say mostly thrived, um, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and I would say, you know, the nice thing is that we are a family company still today and that the family gets along and um, we enjoy each other's company and so that I think that's a that's a really nice tribute to you know really my great-grandfather and my my grandfather and my father and his siblings that have really made family first and, and family an important part of our lives that that you know the company is 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 really done well and, and, and done the right thing I think that you know, also being around for 134 years as a consumer company is a feat. Um, you know, I always, I always say that the, if you ask me what, what we did well, um, I think we have, have always uh, tried at least to delight the customer. And when you delight the customer, you win. And, you know, times that we didn't delight the customer, really the 80s, um, you know, we struggled. 
And I'm not sure we weren't delighting the customer as much as markets were changing and we didn't maybe recognize it as quickly as we should have, but um, it's, it's, I will go to my grave if, if you, if you give the customer what they want and, and over, over, over deliver, you will have customers for life. And I think that, and I think the other thing is that, you know, we've been, you know, generally a fiscally conservative company. So um, we've always been aggressively in, in upgrading the brewery and making sure that we're top quality. But, you know, we also have been very conservative about, you know, where we spend, how we spend, you know, what we take out of the company. And so that, you know, today, 134 years later, uh, we don't have debt. Um, we're very fiscally strong and uh, we have a, you know, very modern brewery uh, complex that, that is set to really, I think, thrive as we go forward. Great. Yeah, I love what you said. Delight the customer and everything else falls in place. Our version in, in our company of that is serve first and let the pay take care of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. You do what's right. Uh, not, not what, you know, what you think is, you know, right for you or what's right for the, the bottom line. And, uh, it makes a huge difference. People respond yeah. to that. Good yeah. for you. Exactly. Um, walk us through your background again. What was your yeah. journey? You know, how did you end up in the family business? Was it right out of school? Was it, you know, what else? Did so I, um, you know, I grew up in a family of six. I'm one of five boys, or well, we have six kids, five boys, and then my sister. Um, you know, growing up, we, uh, you know, I would say a couple of things. You know, we were, it was a pretty Germanic family, um, but a close family. And um, my dad worked a lot of Saturdays. And so the, you know, a lot of Saturdays, see, you know, with six kids, you know, my sister was eight years younger than I am. We were all close in age, but, you know, at least the three elders always went with my dad to, to work on Saturdays. And, you know, so I don't know, from when I was four or five, we, we came to the brewery, you know, a lot of Saturdays. The good thing was that the, a lot of the secretaries had penny candy in their drawers. And so that, you know, we could go rob all the penny candy. And then my dad would put us in a conference room with, you know, that, uh, carbon paper so you yeah. could draw and and you know he'd do a couple hours of work and then before we left we always took a tour of the brewery um so that you know I think that you know in you know as a kid if you wanted a jigger of beer you could have a jigger of beer I think that you know the what was impressed upon us as as children was hard work and um you know, giving back and um that we did have a family brewery and and that you know, it wasn't really talked about that, you know, you could come back or that you would come back. And so that, you know, my brothers and I all, you know, we went on to college. I went to Hobart, um, which is a, I think a great school. Um, it did great things for me. Um, I left, when I got out of Hobart, I went to New York City. I worked in international shipping for three years. Um, and then I went to grad school at the Simon School for two years. I went back to New York City for uh, almost four years and worked at Gray Advertising. And in 1989, um, you know, the brewery was in pretty rough shape. We were a regional brewery that had, had really, you know, gone the way of most regionals. We made great beer, but the national beers were coming in. They were coming in with 
you know, advertising and marketing that was new to the category. Um, and, you know, Miller was coming out with great advertising. Bud was coming out with great advertising. And, you know, companies like ours could not compete on a marketing sales um, side and maintain quality. We chose to maintain quality. And, you know, virtually what happened is that the, you know, price increase would come along. And because of marketing, the other companies were perceived to be better products, more premium. So we held back on price. And, you know, all of a sudden you're in a situation where your margins are being squeezed and people's perception of lower price is the quality is not as good. And so now you're in what I would call a dust spiral. Um, you have no way out. And, uh, you know, it's the time is, is, is not very long. And really almost every regional brewery, except for I think us and Yangling went out of business. Um, we, uh, we stayed in business by my dad getting us into contract production which helped fortify the business. And then he got us into uh, Saranac beer in 1986. Um, and I th those two strategies have been really, really, really good to us. Um, you know, the, the contract production side is, is now, you know, that's really growing for us. So that's actually about 50% of our business. And then our own brand company brands are, are the other 50%. Saranac beer is the horse. Um, Saranac soft drinks does exceedingly well as well. Um, I would say that the, you know, Utica Club, which, you know, was, you know, got a lot of bad names and, and considered really cheap beer uh, today is, is in the hipster community, you know, kind of the cool beer to drink. And interestingly enough, when I came back in 89, if, if you had said that Saranac and Utica Club were made in the same brewery, Saranac beer would be considered, you know, I'm not touching that stuff. Right. And today, as the world evolved, the fact that Utica Club and, and, and Saranac come out of the same brewery is actually something that's considered really cool and just strengthens our story. That's great. We so, yeah. um we also have gotten into cider, so we make Mackenzie cider. We um, do Kingfisher for the nation, which Kingfisher is uh, the largest beer in India. It's about a 55 market share. Um, and now we've gotten into distilled spirits, joint ventures, and, and um, we're going to be doing CBD. Ultimately, we'll do THC so that, you know, we've really kind of taken ourselves and, and broadened our 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 portfolio and you know we are in a cyclical business and things have been great on the craft side of the business for a lot of years um craft is struggling a little bit right now especially if you're more of a legacy brand but you know we've done a lot of great things on, on kind of relook creating a new look for saranac and it's getting great reception our friends at wegmans um i would tell you our friends at wegmans i would say that one of the reasons we're still around as a company is when I came back in 89, they, they believed in what we did, we're doing and incredibly supportive. And to this day are one of our biggest customers and, and most supportive customers. So for all those people in Rochester, you, you got a great company in Wegmans. Yeah, that's how we, earlier we talked about uh, 
the iconic brands of upstate New York, I would say there's a there's another one you hit on. That's uh, well, and, and you know they do as we talked about earlier is they delight the customer. I mean, you yeah. go in there, and you go into any Wegmans, and the customer experience is fantastic. And you deal, you talk to their, you say to you know someone like me that's in stores a lot, but doesn't do the grocery shopping, and you know now I got to find something. You know, you can. We unfortunately we don't have a Wegmans near Utica, but you know you go up and say. You know, where's whatever lip balm? Oh, that's aisle six on the right hand side, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, so have fun. Um, so I think that the, you know, that's that's cool too. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you just gave us a whole bunch of history. You came back to the company at a time when you were struggling. Yeah. And, you know, one, that's brave. You know, and good on you for stepping in and, you know, and and helping out, rolling up your sleeves, right? Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I mean, I certainly wasn't alone. I came back with my uncle, Nick Matt, who had run a, run Richards and Vicks, and then Richards and Vicks was bought by Procter & Gamble, so he's running a division. And, you know, really, he was the one that said, you know, I'm going back because, you know, we have a family history and we have something that legacy that we ought to keep going. And asked me to come and so that we came back to help yeah. my dad okay and um you know I, I i would say to some degree sometimes you could say that you know nick and i were heroes because this place was in bad shape when we came back but you know really we've we've been able to stand on the shoulders of the people before us and you know everything is built to where we've gotten today and you know i would say that you know our timing was great and that's not to say we didn't do a good job the people before us did great jobs it just right. is you know timing is is everything and, and you know this family's worked really hard and i think with hard work comes some luck and we got a little luckier than, than some people in different times of, of the the company's career and uh you know we were fortunate to take advantage of opportunities that were given to us and and, and made the company much, you know, one, got it so we survived, but also got it now so we're thriving and, and we're in really good shape. Yeah, so I, I mean, we've all, we're on the, the tail end of COVID. We've kind of moved through all of that stuff. And, you know, a lot of the big talk track through that time was pivoting and, and, and making it through. You guys are a company that have pivoted. With, I mean, this is like, family history yeah. you, you you living through prohibition that was a probably had to be one of the biggest pivots that you had to make 13 years do you mind talking about that so bit? i you know i'd say i'll talk about prohibition i'll talk about COVID because both are kind of events the you know prohibition um you know i always say think about the business you're in today and you know the government deciding you're no longer in it and you know that's virtually what happened to us you know I say overnight, it wasn't overnight, people had some warning, but um, you know, we went from a beer company to a non-alcoholic company pretty damn quickly. And we made soft drinks and we made malt tonics and near beer. I always love near beer because we put on the side of the can, do not add yeast or you'll create alcohol. Um, so we virtually told people how to how to create alcohol. Um, you know, we did that for you know, the 13 years of prohibition is, is family folklore goes is that 
you know, my grandfather, great grandfather going into prohibition had become a pretty wealthy man um, between the brewery and he owned the bank and he owned a hotel and a bunch of other uh, companies um, or, Utica, or Utica Cutlery. Um, he had become a quite a successful man and, and you know, the folklore goes that if it had gone on another six months, he would have been in trouble because he paid people throughout prohibition. And the cool thing coming out of prohibition was my great uncle Frank had been in Washington lobbying constantly for prohibition to be repealed. So he was there when it was repealed. We have the number one license. Utica Club is the first beer brewed after prohibition. So while we did not cheat during prohibition, um, we did ship 55 truckloads or 52 truckloads out of here the day the prohibition was repealed. Um, so we did cheat at the end. Um, and I think that was pretty cool. Um, I will tell you when COVID hit and you know, no one knew what COVID was gonna bring. Um, March 18th is my designated day for COVID and you know, you know, you knew COVID's here and you know, our sales literally were canceled. That first week we were canceled 50 percent. Um, April sales were cut 50%, May sales were who knows what they're gonna be. And you know, people were nervous. So we went around to you know, all our employees and, and did small employee meetings. And we said to the employees, you know, we don't know what COVID is going to bring. Um, but here's what I'm going to tell you is that, you know, our, our family has lived through pandemics and world wars and prohibition. And one thing we've always done is we've always paid our employees during all those, those times. And so we're going to do the same now. And, you know, I hope it's not long that we're going to be, you know, not producing a lot, but pain, but, you know, it's the least we can do. Everybody here is family and that's what we're going to do. And you know, truth, we did get PPP ultimately. Um, when we made that decision, we did not know that we were going to get PPP. Um, we were down, you know, 50% March, April, June, July started, to, I think we were down 28% in July, 28% in August. And then the fourth quarter, we had been working on um, three contracts that, you know, I wouldn't have told you would have landed in the fourth quarter, but they did. So between our business coming back a little bit and the contract production hitting, we actually ended the year down only a half a percent, wow. um, which was pretty remarkable. Sure. Um, I think the cool thing is, is, you know, we did the right thing with our, our, our family of employees. And, you know, I would say, you know, COVID brought challenges, but COVID brought really cool stuff. And, you know, our, I would say our cultural indexes today are higher than they've ever been. Um, there's, you know, so there's always been goodwill, but, you know, there is differences in trust and there's a lot more trust. We got rid of, you know, uh, attendance policies. We got rid of, you know, sick days. So, you know, if you're sick, stay home, you get paid. And if your spouse is sick, sick stay, stay home. We haven't changed any of those back. Um, I would have, I would tell you that I was concerned that they would be gamed to some degree. Um, what I would tell you, it was, you know, my thing was if it's game, then we'll fix it. But no one gamed it. If anything, people were like, how quickly can I get back? And, 
we ultimately did not have a COVID case from March 18th until December 6th with our first COVID case. And that was due to Thanksgiving. And we went from zero to six to 10 like that. Um, but you know, I, I, I would say that it, it was a great experience, I think, for us as a company. You know, we've had a we had a terrible fire in 2008. And you know, for when I've been here and now this, and you know, people really do come together during stressful and hard times and come together in a positive way that that make you a, a much stronger and better company. And and so I, you know, as much as I personally did not like COVID. I would say from a, a company standpoint, I think it, it's been good for us and, and a lot of good lessons learned of, you know, how to work together as, as a team. Yeah, and team is key to all of that. And I, I love the idea of whether it be quarterly or an annual, but a, an event-driven silo buster. Yeah. And so, you know, COVID was that for a lot of people. And so I think there's a really good point just to make sure people hear this real quick is that you can, with, with right management, get your leadership team together and say, you know what, for the next six months, let's all go after this goal yep. together and create that thematic yep. event to break down the silos. Because it's when you don't have those silos, a lot can happen in much much more positive manner than it can you know than than during uh those non-thematic when you don't have that crisis i guess you know in front of you yeah no i think that's totally right you know you get a rail railing cry and everybody's got to go everybody's going in one direction versus you know right to your point the silos which we all have um and you know diverse thoughts i i always say that the you know, a lot of companies are included is, you know, you put a nail in, and I'm not a big carpenter, but you put a nail in the wall and everybody hammers his nail, it goes in pretty quickly. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people that nail goes in slowly and there's a lot of dents around that nail yeah. um, on the wall. Um, and, you know, I, you know, we don't always work that way, but, you know, we are working together better than we ever have. That's great. Talk about, if you don't mind, and this is a question I don't normally ask, but it's just like, as I'm talking to you, it's coming to me. Talk about your leadership team. How do you, how do you structure, you have non-family members on the leadership team, I would imagine, yourself, and what does that look like, and how do you guys communicate? What's like the rhythm for communication through the leadership team? So, um, you know, we have been much more family. We are, you know, my uncle just retired, and so that you know, the, family, the, the management team today is um, a guy named Dan Vos, who's our vice president of Albury Operations, and he just does an awesome job. Um, he, you know, he's really my right arm. Uh, and then we've got a woman, Nicole Burke, um, who's our controller, and she's new to the job. Um, we had a guy that was in here for 34 years who retired. We brought in a, another gentleman that um, ended up after about two years deciding, you know, just in, he announced in January, he was moving to Florida. Um, so, which was kind of a surprise. Um, 
and you know, we, Nicole was here and had already proven herself in, in two other capacities. She only been here a year, uh, but we put her in the position of controller. I think she will grow in that job. She's doing an outstanding job. The guy left with a little bit of a mess, let's say. Okay. Um, and so I feel badly for her because she's had trial by fire, but at the same time, she is turned around a mess in, in basically six months um, and really stabilized that department. And, uh, you know, now we're going in the right direction. And so she's done a really outstanding job. Um, you know, that's, that's really the core because um, Dan oversees all that. And then we obviously have a plant manager and things like that. But um, we have every Friday morning is production meeting. Um, all disciplines are there, production, brewing, purchasing, finance. Um, and then I'm, I'm a sales and marketing guy by trade. So uh, I'm very involved in both of those. And, you know, we have sales meetings every other week um, with the division guys so that we're staying on track on sales. And then, you know, I, I probably lead the contract sales side and then hand it off, you know, when we get it, but then stay very involved in that just because it's, you know, the, I, I just think that, you know, if you're a customer, you want to know people care and uh, the, the more touches you have with your customer base, I think the, the, the more likely that you're not going to end up with a surprise. Yeah. And I personally don't like surprises. So. Understandable. So you, so on the contract side, you're keeping your, your fingers on the pulse. Yeah. You talked about the 80s, and that was a tough time of maybe being behind the curve just a little bit behind the, you know, what was happening, the trends that were happening. What do you, what do you and your team do today that's different to try to stay in front of the curve or, and, you know, and watching the trends? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the world of, of, brand marketing today is, is an interesting one because, you know, we were the first ones to come out with Bix packs in the craft beer category with Saranac trail mix, which served us exceedingly well for years. Um, you know, the, the mix packs now are, you know, I don't care what category you have now it's mix packs are, you know, so the seltzer category started here. The seltzer category, it's probably 60 to 70% of all sales. Craft beer, it's probably, you know, for us, it was 50%. Um, but in, in the craft category, it's probably somewhere between 20 and 30%, depending on, you know, if you count seasonals, et cetera. Um, but it's, you know, trail mix, when we came out with, it was a rocket ship for us. And um, we didn't, you know, Jim Cook was the first one to come in with it, Sam Adams. And, uh, and we were making beer for him at the time. He was probably two years behind where, you know, we had already had two years of sales. And, you know, I forgot their first version was like an American pack or something that didn't do well. Um, so I would say on trail mix, we probably had, I don't know, five year lead time and, you know, your first mover, and, uh, you know, today, um, you know, you take the seltzer category where a guy named Nick Shields created it. It was, um, it was called uh, Spike Seltzer. Yep. And he ended up selling it to Budweiser two years before White Claw or Truly even were out. 
Um, but you know, once that category started to take off, you know, you've got a thousand entrants immediately. And I would say, you know, the difference is, is big corporate is much quicker to come in and either copycat or buy. And so that, you know, I, I almost think the trick today is, is get a product that is showing steady growth, but not enough to get attention. And so that you can get a few years out of it before you get a bunch of copycats. Because if it comes too quickly, you're going to have copycatters in a heartbeat. So we make a product called Ranch Water for now Diageo, but it was a woman named Katie Brown, who's a great, great you know, person and did a great job. You know, the product, you know, she started the company, it exploded. And I'm going to say eight months later, and I might be wrong on that timing, but I'm close. You know, she was basically selling because you had, you know, four or five other bigger companies coming out with a ranch water type product yeah. that, you know, she's new to the business. You don't have a distribution channel defined and you're just not going to, you're not going to get a shot. And so, you know, unfortunately for her, she sold out. I mean, I'm sure it worked out for from a financial standpoint and, you know, she's working with Diageo and I think having a great time, but I just, I think that the, you know, the, the world today is, it's copycat very quickly. And right. It's very, very competitive. Um, and I think that makes it much more challenging. I think the product life cycle of a product is much shorter. So, you know, I, I think, you know, one, you're going to have copycats, I will tell you, within six to, to 12 months. And product life cycle might be, you know, 18 to three years. Right. Um, 18 months to three years. Sure. So, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a much different business. And, you know, so to what are we doing and what are we doing to make sure we're successful? Um, one, we've diversified. So we've gotten into distilled spirits, both in our own products and contracts. We're doing, um, you know, wine products, non-alcoholic seltzers. Uh, non-alcoholic sodas, non-alcoholic non good-for-you drinks, obviously beer, um, wine in cans. And, you know, now we're getting into CBD. Um, so we're, we're diversifying in that way. And then the last two products we just have launched, um, we've done as joint ventures. So we did a distilled spirits as a joint venture, and we're doing it with Harpoon and uh -huh. with Flying Dog. And if you say, well, why are you doing that? So, you know, it's really simple. And, and this came, you know, we had this idea, we called them up and said, you guys in and within five minutes, yes, I'm in. It's a handshake deal basically. And it's shared third, 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 all costs, all profits. And the reason we did it is you now go into New England, who owns New England, Harpoon, their sales force, they're, they're got great distribution. We've got the New York, Swatch, or East Pennsylvania, the New Jersey, and it's not that we're not in those other areas, but we're not as strong as they are. And then you go to Flying Dog, who's really strong in the Mid-Atlantic. So we launch a product and we're in market like that. Yeah. And you now can get bigger quickly. And you know the goal is to keep, we've actually got another product coming right behind that. Um, the goal is to build this company, a joint venture company, and if someone comes along taking advantage of what I just said, big wants to either borrow or buy, um, you know, if they borrow, 
you know, I, I can't benefit from that. But if they come in and say, you know, we're going to throw you sick money to buy it. So they buy it. Hopefully I keep the contract. If I don't, now we've got a track record of creating things. So people are going to want to want to follow us going forward. So um, I think that joint venture strategy is a, is a really interesting one. It's really different. Um, you know, mostly I think that, you know, you, we've got a, the thing that, that if you said to me again, what's the thing you most focus on, it's delighting the customer. And, you know, this distilled spirit we've done, there's a thousand of them out there right now. Yeah. But what I would tell you is our product over delivers on taste and quality. And so people will say to us, you know, there's too many of these out here. We have them sample and they're like, I'm in. And so that, you know, I, I literally will go back to you delight your customer, you're going to be okay. You don't delight your customer and you're going to have issues. Makes sense. I mean, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm having a blast, by the way. I yeah. really love this is. No, I love this. Um, I can see the market map that you must draw to see how does money flow through your business with all the joint ventures, what's direct to market, who, where, where does the cash come from, from just, uh, I, I would, that's got to be like a, you know, a whole wall in your business to be able to, to see that on one page kind of a thing. That's, uh, that's interesting. Um, talk about, you know, the let's go back to family business for a second. Appreciate everything that you've shared there. Um, you know, it, it's been ingrained that you have a family business. You're proud of working in the business. Are there other family members today involved at any level of the business? Yes, yeah, so the, whole, the whole board is family. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, as a close-knit family, the, you know, we had a family, last family reunion was right before COVID. And I'd say, you know, on the, on the Matt side of the family, I don't know, maybe 80% showed up. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, growing up in this in Utica area, um, you know, I'm one of six. My cousins were here. They had seven. My other cousins were here. They had six. So that it's, you know, you know your cousins and you know them well. Um, and you know, our kids know each other. And so that it, it's, you know, all that's fun. And, you know, I always, I always love with little kids, my kids are older now, but you know, when, when kids see their cousins, there's just a, a bond there that they, you know, and it's like an unspoken bond. I don't, I don't know what creates it, but it, it's just there and it's, it's cool. Yeah. No, I, I would tend to agree. Um, so have, what is there a family employment policy or is it, you know, just uh, if you wanted to come to work there, well, what's that look like? So the, the family employment policy uh, started by, I really say Nick started this, was that the, you have to be 30 to come before you can even be considered. And the thought on that was, is that, you know, go out and get outside experiences and bring them back. Um, and, you know, necessarily, you know, family isn't necessarily the best trainer, um, which I think is a, a fair comment to make uh -huh. and, um, and realistic. Um, and then I think, you know, the other thing to me is, is that we are a business. And so, you know, you can't just show up and say, hey, you know, I'm a Matt, so I ought to have a position here is that, you know, if we have an opening and you you are the best suited, then then we have a position. But 
um, if we don't have a position for you, then we don't have a position for you. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm probably maybe more focused on that than some of the people in the, in the earlier, you know, certainly my father's generation was, if you're a Matt, you're coming back here. Right. I, my generation was, you know, grew up in, you know, seeing the thing in the eighties kind of start to implode. And, you know, everybody was well-educated and done exceedingly well. So, um, yeah, I, I think that everybody wants to see the thing go well, but, you know, there's no, you know, I wish I was there because they're, they're doing just fine themselves. And, and then, you know, is there, there's a lot of fifth generation people and, you know, is there opportunity for them to come back? I would say for sure. Um, but I'd also say that, you know, you got to bring your chair to the table and, uh, you know, that's not just a way to complete that, you know, I'm, I'm ex Matt and I can, I can come back. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I just had, um, a meeting with Carol Whitmire, who's the interim Dean at St. John Fisher, and she runs the family business center there. That's what she was brought in to do. And then ends up being the interim Dean for the whole school. But um, she did a whole bunch of research on families and the employment policy and the benefits of, you know, not work, not coming to work for the family business immediately and going out and, you know, um, you know, sharpening your own axe out in the world and making your own way through versus families that, you know, it was immediately come on in, you're a family member, we're going to find a spot for you. And I found, you know, I found it really interesting because what she said, she, you know, came back with was it just depends yeah. you know it, every family's different there's no right or wrong on how to do it i love the fact i always grew up feeling that you you know your way of doing things was the right way go out and you know yeah. look prove to the family that you can succeed someplace else and don't you know bring something really important back to us because we don't know it all and then I have another business that, you know, that I'm following and I'm just watching the success the G3 is having and every one of them, except for one, you know, started right out of high school. Some of them, you know, did a semester or two of college. Some of them didn't even do the, the college route and they're just running the business and they're doing a phenomenal job with it because of the industry that they're in. They needed more time with the family to learn the, the specialty niche that they're in. So and I would agree with that comment. I, it depends. Most of my friends that have family businesses did go out and, and did their own thing for a while. And, you know, for me, I think that that is, you know, it depends on the company really in the business you're in. I mean, you know, I, I think that the, you know, a lot of our employees knew me from working in the brewery and knew I was hardworking and would do anything. But, you know, there is, is a little, if you just come back out of college, it's, you know, my dad was effects, so it's a little bit, you know, oh, it's Freddie, it's uh, Freddie's effects, his son. And, you know, the difference is, is that when you've had successes on your own and now you sit in the room and, you know, for any murmuring, and I will assure you there's murmuring when the one, some younger generation comes back is that, you know, the second you open your mouth, I think there generally there's an opportunity people say, oh, I get this. This is going to be good. Um, and, you know, again, I, it, it certainly can work. And I think it depends on the business, the, the people teaching. And, um, 
and really the person going in too and the culture of the company, et cetera. So, you know, if someone's worked there all their, all their high school and college years and all that, and everybody knows them already and they really like, I wish you'd come back, you know, then it's an easy slider. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, you just mentioned having friends, other friends that are in family businesses. Are you involved in any associations or any groups that are family business oriented? So I'm in a conscious capitalism group. Love it. Um, when I first came back, we were in a family business group. Um, there were six of us uh, that, that all had family businesses and, and we'd meet once a month. And, you know, it was, there was, call it a presenter every month, but the presenter was really kind of, you know, the one we got on the most was what keeps you up at night. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would say generally people was the issue, but that was a really good group. I mean, it was, you know, a lot of, you know, we don't sign confidentialities agreements, but we make it clear that this stuff is confidential and, you know, what I'm going to share, I'd really not let get out. Yep. And, you know, the cone of silence, so to speak, in that group and in conscious capitalism group is, I think, really helpful. Um, because you can be open and honest and no judgment yet really constructive criticism or uh, con you know criticism in some points constructive direction in other points um, so I think it's I think those groups are really good um, and then I'm, I'm in you know in our industry groups I'm in I'm on the Brewers Institute board and I'm on the uh, which is really the big breweries. And then I'm on the Brewers Association board, which is all the craft small breweries. Um, and those are, those are both very different boards, but both fun. Yeah. No, I, I found that I, my father was involved with every industry board and whatnot through the years. And so for whatever reason, I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, you know, I, I, I was the kid that always had to do things differently than my father. So. I got, you know, very involved in family dynamics. We got involved in, you know, the business side of strategy and execution and helping, you know, people to think through those things, not just the wealth management for the family. So it was really family office kind of thinking. Yep. Um, and so then, you know, as dad was getting close to retirement, I started to get involved in some of those organizations and associations. I'm like, oh, I should have done this years ago. He was right. <laughs> it was, I really enjoyed my time with them. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if you, I, what I always say is whether it's a charitable board or, or, you know, associations or whatever. I mean, I always, I always love how, you know, you watch how people think and, you know, you get to know them and you know exactly where they're going to go on an issue. But I always take back something that I learned from those meetings and, and bring it back to the company. It may just be being out of the out of the day-to-day -day business for two days and being with a bunch of other smart people where you're talking about issues that aren't even affecting your company, but it's stuff that all of a sudden comes in and it's like ding, 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 that I don't know what was said, but you get an idea for your own business or it's just literally outright plagiarism of, you know, somebody says something and you're like, I'm taking that back. Yep. Um, so I I truly enjoy the the outside stuff as well because I I've, I've found it to be a really good learning experience and and just working with 
very diverse and, and smart people. Yeah, you just two keys, always be learning. Like, you, you know, you're always open to that and surrounding yourself with smart people. Right. Uh, I, I tell my kids all the time, you want to be the dumbest person at the table. Yeah. And as, good, as smart as you are, keep surrounding yourself with, you know, people that are doing great things, wonderful things that you appreciate. And that'll make a big difference in your life and how you operate. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, talk, you, you mentioned what keeps you up at night. What keeps you up at night today? Um, probably the, uh, the inflationary situation. Um, you know, I think it's, I, I don't think we know where it's going and I don't think that, uh, there's easy fixes. And so, you know, I worry about your employee base, you know, you go and fill up the gas tank and it's, you know, $70 for a tank. And I look at that, if I'm thinking about that, you know, my employees are certainly thinking about that. We pay our employees well, we pay 100% of healthcare um, and very good on the retirement. It's, but it's, you know, people got to live. And, um, you know, I work about worry about, you know, if you look at the American worker who's from the 90s had, you know, an average of a 2% raise. And you look at CEO compensation over that period, it's, it's just, it's wrong. And um, that I find really frustrating. And it's, you know, we don't do that. Um, and I, you know, I just in the divisiveness in this country is is ridiculous. I yep. mean, you know, the gun violence and, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why we got to have all the guns, the, you know, the, the, you know, inability for people to work together and, and our legislators, whether it be New York state or federal government is, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I get, you know, give and take, but you know, there ought to be a compromise and, and how do we get there? And, and then, you know, the, the world affairs of, you know, Putin and, you know, that's a loose cannon over there that anything could happen. And I, I always have one simple answer on, on how we fix the world issues. And this is not sexist. And if please don't, no one should take offense to it is put a bunch of mothers in a room and say, here's the situation and let them fix it because in yeah. that to me is a credit to mothers and women is they are going to look for a solution no one wants to lose a kid and i just i think we you know men to some degree have messed it up enough let's let's let somebody else handle it so. i can't disagree with that i uh i hear what you're saying and uh it is it's it is a it is this time is different or, you know, what I say are some of the most dangerous words people can say. Yeah. Every, I would, I would, and I would argue that every time is different. You know, we live yeah. through all these other things yeah. but, and, and we come out of them and this time is different, but it's, there is some differences in terms of, you know, like you say, you know, you used to be able to disagree and commit. Yeah. And you can't, you don't, you can't do that today it's not the same you know people family members dropping their relationship with family members over political views yeah just yeah heard of unheard. Well, you know, not talking to a family member for i mean 
to me, it's just it's just ridiculous. I yeah. mean, there's there's bigger issues, and and we just you know we will get through this. Is that the uh, one of my favorite experiences? One of my oldest son went to Deerfield Academy in Western Mass, and he uh, we went out there and they did this great kind of parents weekend thing. And this first, they read these cards from the kids, which were some of them were absolutely heartbreaking. Of you know, I, I feel like I'm pushed by my parents and all this kind of stuff. And you know, they were talking about the same woman was saying, you know, just recognize that these. I'm not going to tell you who it is, and I'm, it's not necessarily your kids in the room, but you know, take the heat off your kids and let a kid be a kid. And then the second thing was is that they read six little statements from you know, I this generation is going to screw up the world, and the next generation is, man, what are we going to do, and all this. And so they started reading and it started with Aristotle and they literally came up and every, all six people that had said, this generation is gonna be our death, the whole bit that's been going on since, you know, whenever Aristotle, 1300s or whatever. Yep. Um, someone's gonna correct me on that one, but, um, but I, I think that that's, you know, that's true is that, you know, we, we do come through it and we do learn and we will be, we will be okay. Um, and you know we will solve this one. I just you know it's kind of like you're sitting on the sidelines watching this stuff happening, and you're you know how do you how do you help be a positive force in changing it is really what yeah. I think about a lot. Well, I th I think that you know as a business you've proven to do that. I love that you pay 100% of healthcare. That does not happen in many many places nowadays. Um, you know, you talked about the, the trust that you have with the employees um, in terms of sick days and whatnot, and that, you know, we learned a lesson through COVID that they still want to, you know, create a paycheck and they still want to have a vision and be part of the company. I, I always use the, that vision piece in terms of, I don't remember who it was, but the, a, a president, you know, the story goes, a president was, you know, going through um, Kennedy Space Station um, as they were, you know, as they were getting ready to do the, the moon launch, you know, it was, it was probably Kennedy before, you know, when it, it going through NASA and he asked the janitor, what do you do? And the janitor says, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Yeah. And, you know, it's when you think like that, when the, that vision go back to what we talked about earlier, that theme, when we have that driving, it can go through the whole company. It just makes a difference. So we may not have COVID, but when you, you got me, I'm going to make sure I'm talking to clients about this right now. We, COVID may be going away, but now's the time. It, it, there's always a good time for a crisis to get the company moving in the right direction. What's the theme? What's the goal to get everybody rail, get that rally cry going? So I will tell you, interestingly enough, we're on the same page because I wrote down COVID when we were talking about that, because as we distance ourselves from COVID, like anything, you know, we don't, that railing cry, the, the good spirit, all that's together, but the, the railing cry is, is waning because we don't have that. And I just wrote that down because what's our next railing cry to, uh, to make sure that we transition in a strong way versus go back to where we were. Got it. I'll give you, uh, have you ever read Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up? No. Grab the book. He's got a whole chapter or two on that thematic um, events. 
And I, where else did I read that just recently that I thought did a, a, even a better job? It might have been Jim Collins, good to great, maybe. That, that, that's what's popping in my head. But um, thematic events in the business, I bet you there's an, a, also a Harvard Business article about it someplace. Harvard Business Review probably has done stuff on it. But. I must say, I, I, I read them, but I can't stand those business help books because you know, now they're in the parables. And, and I'm one of those guys, if I start a book, I feel like I got to read it. And, you know, to me, I, I not diagnosed, but anybody that knows me says I have raging ADD. And it, to me, it's just give me, tell me the point you want to make in the chapter in one or two sentences. Yes. Yes. If I want an example, I'll read it. So I keep on thinking about, you know, could I write a business book and change the whole way to do it and say, Okay, the theme of this chapter is very simple. Delight your customer. Get it? Okay, you don't get it? Here's two examples. Chapter three, here's what it is. Here's three examples. Love it, love it. You know what, well, in the, in the case of what I just talked about, um, I've started to grab the summaries. I love, the, you know, because I'm doing six pages, I can get the, the summary for the book. And if I find the thematic thing, I'll, I'll be sure to send it over to you. Great. And uh, yeah, I'll find the, the summary one for you. Um, we, we're getting, we, we, we got to wrap this up. I could talk to you all day. This is yeah. just one of, I really enjoy have to have a beer next time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. Um, when you talk about, we, we talked about employment policies, you're just giving advice to other family businesses out there. What would you say, you know, that we haven't talked about maybe that you'd say, you know what, you really should be thinking about these one or two things what you know what are the what do you what would you hang your head on you know i i think of you know what i try and do let's just say is show empathy for others um i think that's really important and i i share personal you know i wouldn't say tr personal troubles of mine to our employees and it it is i did i read an article on, on Google work groups and, you know, they've done all this research and they put the best and the brightest in the room and what could they get? And they put the, you know, the ones that were more dysfunctional together and then they put, they mixed them and you know, all they were trying to do was get the most, the best. And, and what they found ultimately was the groups that were the most successful, weren't necessarily the smartest and, you know, not as smart, whatever, was the people that when they shared something personal of themselves, and showed a human frailty, um, the group came together and was stronger as a result. And, um, you know, I really push people to be open. I share, you know, you know, I have a son that has anxiety and depression and, you know, that is an issue that is, he's in a very good place right now, but that's a, that's a thing that is, is, you know, it's a tremendous problem in our country and, and we're not solving it. And it's, you know, I mean, I always think of when I was a kid, I mean, you know, you know what it's like, you know, you wanted something and go get it. Or, you know, we went to this golf course and we was five miles away. My mother was six kids at eight o'clock in the morning, wasn't driving us. We rode our bikes five miles and you just, you did more yourself. You took hits and we, I think we as a generation have done too much for our kids and made too soft a landing and then you throw in social which is 
you know, a snapped shot in time, but, you know, you can tell you tell a kid that's going through some anxiety and depression that, you know, they look like they're having a ball right now because they're with all their friends. Do you think they'd put that picture up if they didn't? It's, it's just one moment, but you know, no one gets that. And I, I think this mental health issue crisis that we have is, is a difficult one. And I can tell you from, you know, sharing it to our employees is that they, they are much more inclined to come and talk um, and, and share their concerns and, 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 you know, quite frankly, it, it allows us to help them because now when we know they have an issue, we can get them help that they need. And so I think empathy is number one. And my other one is just, you know, I always say to everybody, you know, your mother always said, you know, if you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. Every mother said that. And I don't care whether it's harassment or inclusive behavior or whatever it is, just be nice. And it doesn't cost anything. Right. And, and things will be okay. Yeah. I, so to your empathy point, real, and it's just like, it's very rarely do I hear anybody talking about it. And it's so important. We call it cohesiveness on the teams that we're trying to build on, especially within the leadership teams or their teams that they're working on. And so we start monthly and quarterly meetings with a cohesive question. And so it's if you start with that and the, you know, the, the leader goes first. And so like the first one we usually do with leadership teams is, you know, when you have, what was the most meaningful event for you under the age of 12? And so we start with that kind of thing and they yeah. never, they never knew how many kids and where were they, were, where were you in the birth order and, you know, how many siblings? Yeah. Just sharing those kinds of things through, something once, first. A month, once a quarter you yeah. know yeah it, you know, it's an icebreaker exactly exactly and a good way to do it oh. yeah. all right um i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up here thank you everybody for joining us fred matt thank you this has been you know just a, a delightful delightful conversation i hope you know fred took some notes from this himself i hope all of you that are listening to this are able to grab some notes from this. There's lots of really good nuggets in here. Um, again, my name is Michael Columbus. You've been listening to the Family Biz Show. We're in Rochester, New York. Family Business, Family Wealth and Legacies, our company. Appreciate you listening in, everybody. Have a great day. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with the Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. 
Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.